0: Father in heaven, thank you so much that you've seen us through this day so far. As we come to study your word, please bless us with wisdom once more. Lord, we realize that without the Holy Spirit we cannot understand anything. And without divine understanding, Lord, these words and these symbols that you give to us are just simply words. And so, Lord, we're asking that the Holy Spirit would not only just give us wisdom, but help us to see the time and the relevance of the time that we live in. Bless us now as we open the book, Daniel, to study is our prayer in jesus name amen let us go to daniel 8 daniel chapter 8 now daniel 8 has 27 verses and it's split up into four major sections four main or major sections that describe four main things there are four main characters so to speak, that come out of Daniel chapter 8. The first is the ram. The second is the he-goat. The third is the little horn. And the fourth is the 2300 days. 2300 days. These are the four main sections of Daniel chapter 8. And I just want to go through quickly this whole chapter and read through it to help us familiarize ourselves with it. But at the same time, we're going to be interpreting a few things here and there as we go along, okay? So let's start in verse 1. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. So there's about a two to three year gap between Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, okay? About a two to three year gap because we saw that Daniel chapter 7 began with Daniel having the dream in the first year of Belshazzar. But now we're down in chapter 8 and he's in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar. Now these chapters, all of them are not in chronological order. We already saw that when we started off with Daniel 7. 6 describes the fall of Babylon and then we're taken back a few years. So really chapter 6 should go in between chapter 8 and chapter 9. Because in Daniel 9, it's the new kingdom already. Darius the Mede is reigning. So Babylon has already fallen. But in Daniel 8, we're still in Babylon. Verse 2, And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in a vision, and I was by the river of Uli. Then I lifted up mine eyes, and saw, and behold there stood before me the river, a ram, which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. Now, this is a clear parallel between Daniel 7 and that bear. We see two horns. Now, what do horns represent again? Kingdoms. According to which Bible text do we find? Daniel Daniel 7 and verse 24. We see in verse 24 that horns represent kingdoms. And of course, we see two horns coming up and these two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 20 tells us that. The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. So we're seeing a direct parallel with the bear, which is what? Raised up on one side. Raised up on one side. And so here we see two horns coming up, but one is higher than the other. But the higher one came up what? Last. Last. Signifying that the first one that came up is now shorter. It's not as high as the other one. And of course, which kingdom came and conquered Babylon? The Medes. The Medes. Remember, Medo-Persia is a combination of two kingdoms. Darius being the uncle of Cyrus, who is the king of Persia. So Darius was the one that came and conquered Babylon, but the one that actually took more power at the end was Cyrus because Darius moved off the scene and Cyrus took power of this um, co-rulership between an uncle and a nephew. Okay, So here is given very vivid vivid details about this understanding of these two horns and how it's describing this ram. Let's move on though. Verse 4. I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beasts might stand before him, neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. Now which directions was the beast pushing? West, north and also south. So where is this beast coming from? East. East. Okay, now remember, Cyrus is called the kings of the east or the Medo-Persian kings are called the kings of the east. And they were east in reference to who? Babylon. So, this ram is coming from the east. Another geographical location to tell us. Another little um, identity to identify this, a characteristic to identify this ram. is coming from the east. And it says that none could deliver out of his hand. But it says there at the end, but he did according to his will and became what? Great. Notice that, okay? This ram is described as what? Great. Now let's move on. Verse 5. And as I was considering, behold, an he-goat came up from the west, from the face of the whole earth. So the ram is pushing, coming from which direction? East. And the he-goat is coming from which direction? West. And truly, Greece, who we find in verse 21 to be the he-goat, does geographically come from the west. Let's read verse 21. And the rough goat is the king of Greece, or Grisha. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. So we know that Greece comes from the west, or we could even say in relation to Babylon. Yes, Greece comes from the west. Medo-Persia comes from the east. But let's finish off verse 5. And as I was considering, Behold, an he goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. What did this horn represent again? The first king of Greece, which was Alexander the Great. Notable horn. For after that, there was not to come another king like him. But it says that he touched not the ground. And if you're not touching the ground, that means you're what? Flying. Flying. Another symbol there that directly parallels back to Daniel 7. What was the kingdom of Greece represented as in Daniel 7? Leopard with what? Four wings. Definitely wasn't touching the ground. It was fast. And then it says in verse 6, And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns. So these two kingdoms, or these two horns, were broken That means they had been conquered. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. So who does the ram represent? Medo-Persia. Greece was represented by the he-goat. Now, let's just do some quick comparisons, okay? Let's go back to verse 5 of Daniel chapter verse 3 pardon me of daniel chapter 8 then i lifted up mine eyes and saw and behold there stood before the river a ram which had what two horns and the two horns were high but one was higher than the other and the higher came up last now let's go to daniel 7 and verse 5 i just want to show you the text okay just to establish this beyond any reasonable doubt Daniel 7 and verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side. So also, this beast is unbalanced. These horns in its height are also unbalanced in power. So that was me Persia. Now let's go back to Daniel 8, and let's look at verse 5. And I, as I was considering, behold, and he came from the west on the face of the whole earth, and touched not the ground now let's go back verse 6 of daniel 7 it says there it has four wings of a fowl daniel chapter 7 and verse 6 so both has the same characteristics as each other it confirms that these kingdoms are the ones that we're matching up to other than just the interpretation that is given and it's in verse 20 and 21 of daniel 8 it's clear that These two kingdoms are none other than kingdoms of Medo-Persia and Greece. But remember, I want to bring this concept out, again, of repeat and enlarge. Now, as you look at the principle of repeat and enlarge, you're going horizontal across the chapters. It's repeated. Babylon, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Medo-Persia, Greece, Greece, and Roman, Roman, right? So, we're seeing details repeated across, but we're saying repeat and what? Enlarge, and what is being enlarged it's the details that are going downwards so more is given now let me give you an example repeat and enlarge what I'm saying is from a distance I see a person okay I see a person but as you get closer more details come out things that you can't see from a distance but as you get closer there are things about this person that you can't see anymore the feet Okay, if you're focusing on the face, you can't see the feet anymore. And just in the same instance, as we're focusing in, repeat and enlarge, what is left out in Daniel 8? What is left out? It is the Babylon, Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon. We haven't gone, gotten to the other details yet, but Babylon has already left the scene. They, Daniel doesn't even, I mean, the dream that is given doesn't even describe Babylon at all. Does it mean that this prophecy is wrong. No, it's just based on a foundation. And the foundation is Daniel 2. All the kingdoms exist there in Daniel 2 already. You see that? It goes from the beginning, Babylon, all the way to the end. That is our foundation. Is there details there? No, not much details. I mean, Medo Persia and Greece are given one verse. I mean, they share half a verse. I mean, share one verse, half a verse each. But now in Daniel 8, there's so much detail given there to establish beyond any of any reasonable doubt that this is the kingdoms of Medo-Persia and Greece. But more details are given. And we can expect more details to be given further down as we go down in details of the next kingdoms that come up. The little horn and 2300 days. Okay. Now, I want you to notice the difference between Daniel 7 and Daniel 8. Who had the dream in Daniel 7? Daniel. Who had the dream in Daniel 8? Daniel. Both times Daniel is dreaming the same thing, okay? Not same thing, but he, both times he's having a dream. But what is the difference between the beasts that are described in Daniel 7 compared to the beasts that are described in Daniel 8? Clean and unclean, yes. What else? Sanctuary or sacrificial animals in Daniel 8. But we're seeing what? we're seeing more carnivorous animals, you know, one is more meek and one is more meat-eating. And what we're seeing here is more political entities brought out in Daniel 7, and religious entities brought in Daniel 8. But what sort of religious entities are we expecting? The sanctuary, okay? So this is just observations that we make between the animals that are used and how God is representing these. All of them eat meat, Daniel 7. More beasts. Like wild beasts. But Daniel eight is more related to the animals that are used in the sanctuary, especially with Daniel, who is who is brought up with the sanctuary. Okay? So you're expecting sanctuary to come out sometime in this chapter. But let's move on. Verse 8. Therefore the he goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. So it says that this he-goat waxed very great. Did you notice that? So the ram waxed what? Great. And we see that in verse 4. Right at the end there, it says, and became great. But now the he-goat, in verse 8, therefore the he-goat waxed what? Very great. It was more powerful than Medo-Persia. The ram was just great. But the Hebrew now is very great. But then it says, and when he was strong, the great horn, which represented who? In verse 21? Alexander, Alexander the Great, the first king of Greece. When he died, when he was broken, it says four notable ones came up to the four winds of heaven. Another parallel. Four heads on the leopard in Daniel 7. So that's clear. And so, of course, these horns represent kingdoms and certainly Greece was divided into four, I guess you could say kings, under the four generals, and what were their names again? Cassander, Seleucus, Lysimachus, and Ptolemy. Now the understanding of where these four generals reign is very important, and I want to show you on this whiteboard, okay, it it becomes very important to understand where these four generals reigned, and there's a reason why these four generals are brought out again, and why I mean, of course, based on principle, principle of repeat and enlarge, is important. But somehow, they're brought up, and it says that, if you look at verse 8, it says, and four notable ones towards what? The four winds of heaven. And, of course, what does the number four represent? We looked at this before. Worldwide, okay, Daniel 7, uh, Revelation 7, pardon me, and also Revelation 20, the four quarters of the earth. So, four represents worldwide. And so it's talking about how the four generals reigned the then-known world. Of course, they didn't know every part of the world that existed then. But this is talking about how, when the generals reigned the then-known world, we need to understand the areas that they reigned. So I'm just going to drop a really mock map of what I guess Rome looked like. Not Rome. Hmm. Was it backwards? No, it doesn't. It goes that way. This is just a very rough map, okay? This is the C here. What C is is it? Huh? You guys don't. Oh, you're all guessing. Never mind. It's it's not important. (laughs) I just want to see if you guys knew. No, you, you guys really need to go back and look at your geography. Okay, this is Rome here. Go back and look. It becomes better if you, you refresh it yourself, okay? It's none of the ones that you guys mentioned. <laughs> All right. Now, there were, there were four generals, okay? And we want to look at the four main areas that they reigned or they ruled. Cassander. Cassander reigned in the northwest region. They say around Greece and Macedonia, okay? which also included Rome. So this was Cassander's Cassander's area, okay? Lysimachus had Asia Minor. Now, where was Asia Minor? It was north. So you're looking around that region there, okay? That was Lysimachus, Asia Minor. And then we had Seleucus, who reigned around the Syria and Babylon area, or what we could say, more the east. Yes, it is the Mediterranean. And then we have Ptolemy, who reigned around Lydia and Egypt, which is down here, okay? Ptolemy, Seleucus is here. Now, what was that sea again? Mediterranean. All right. So here are the four areas that the generals reigned after Alexander the Great passed away. Cassander was in the northwest, Lysimachus was in the north, Seleucus was in the east or southeast area, and Ptolemy reigned in Egypt, which was south, certainly south. Okay, And this map is going to become very important as we move on, all right? but I want you to keep this in mind. We're going to put it on the shelf and we're going to come right back to it, okay? But let us go through the rest of this chapter just briefly and we're going to come back. But remember, it says that they, in verse 8, they, four notable ones, came up towards the four winds of heaven, describing how the four generals took the leadership from the succession of Alexander the Great's family. They destroyed the family and they took it up. Out of bloodshed, once again, we're seeing that nations rise up. And this was Greece. It was split into four main areas. Now, let's move on. Verse 9, And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed great, exceeding great, toward the south, and toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. Verse 10, let's move on. I just want to finish this chapter, and we're going to come right back. And it waxed great, even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground, and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And an host was given him against the daily sacrifice, by reason of transgression, and it, ca- and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto the certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, And the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So are we seeing a concept of the sanctuary being brought out? Yes. Now we've seen another power come up. It was a little horn. Based on repeat and enlarge, we, we should be interpreting what this kingdom is. Who is it? What kingdom comes after Greece? Rome, pagan Rome. But we're going to come back to this, okay? I want to read you the rest of this chapter and we're just going to look at a few things here. Verse 15, And it came to pass, when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning, then, behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Ulai, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Now, what things don't we understand so far? Have we understand the ram? Have we understood the ram? Yes. Who is it? Medo-Persia. Have we understood the he Yes, it's Greece. We haven't looked at the little horn yet, but we're going to see that the little horn is actually explained. There's going to be one thing that Daniel is not going to understand at the end of this. But let's watch. Let's read the rest of this first. So he came near where I stood, verse 17, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now note that the words there, time of the end, this becomes very important. You see, there's a difference between time of the end and the end of time. We're living at the end of the time of the end. Since 1798, we've been in the time of the end. But we're at the end of time already. This is what we're told. But we're going to look at more this understanding later. Okay, it's brought out again. But just put in mind, just put this phrase there, time of the end, on the shelf for a moment, and we're going to come back as well. For at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the nation." For at the time appointed, the end shall be. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. We read that already. And verse 21 tells us that the rough goat is the king of Greece. Verse 22. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms, shall not stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. But shall stand up out of the nation. So they're describing the four generals. But it says, but not in his power. And truly... The four generals, although they took over the reign of Greece, they never had the same power that came when Alexander the Great was ruling. Although there were four of them, the power that Alexander the Great held was not even comparable to what these guys were holding then. That power had diminished. The kingdom had gotten weaker. It was going to be taken over by another kingdom. Verse 23, And in the latter time of their kingdom, When the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up the, against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Does that word without hand sound familiar? Where have we seen it? Daniel 2, Daniel two where the, cut, the stone was cut out or taken out, pulled out without hand. And it what? Struck the image on the feet. So somehow, we're lining up here carefully so far. You seen this little horn is representing two things. Pagan Rome, which has to come next after Greece. Or else the Bible's lying. And then a Little Horn, that we saw in Daniel 7. Now, don't get the Little Horn mixed up in Daniel 8 with that Little Horn in Daniel 7. They are not the same thing. Although we describe the Little Horn in Daniel 7 to be the papacy, it doesn't mean that the Little Horn in Daniel 8 is the papacy. We know, based on repeat and enlarge, the kingdom that comes next is pagan Rome. So the Little Horn must have the element of pagan Rome as well. Now, we're going to come back and look at this, but I just want to pull out some major details here. Now, let's finish off this chapter, and then we're going to go back. So, in verse 25, it says that this little horn is going to be broken without hand. And we know that as the papacy. The papacy is the only one that goes against the prince of princes, against God. Verse 26, And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. What didn't he understand? Did he understand the ram? Yes. Did he understand the he-goat? Yes. Did he understand the little horn? Yes. We have not explained it yet, but it was explained in very detail who that little horn was. But what was not explained was the 2300 days. Daniel 8:14, unto 2,300 days, 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed." But in the remaining time, I want to look at verses nine through 13. We, might, we probably won't be able to get through it this evening, But there are some details that have come out that are very, very important. Let's start with verse nine. Okay, Daniel chapter 8 and verse 9. We already understand that based on the repeat and enlarge principle, pagan Rome must come next. Now, how does this fit in with this little horn? Certainly, if we're comparing just to Daniel 7, the little horn has to be what? The Antichrist, papal Rome, the Catholic Church, papacy, whatever you may want to call it. But that is not so because then we're missing a kingdom. And our theory and understanding of how we study prophecy based on repeat and enlarge is shattered. I mean we're already seeing Babylon left off the front. The beginning. Not important anymore. But how does pagan Rome fit into these details? Now let's look at verse 9. And out of one of them, out of one of which, out of one of them, who is it them referring to? Four heads. There's no four heads mentioned in Daniel 8. Say it louder. Four horns. There's no ten horns mentioned in Daniel 8 either. These are all symbols from Daniel 7 you're giving me. But there are four horns. Let's read verse 8 again. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it came up what? Four notable ones, or four notable horns, towards the four winds of heaven. And then in verse 9 it says, and out of one of them, out of one of what? The horns, which represented who? The kings of are the generals of Greece. All right, note this. It says, Out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great. Now, we saw the ram. It was what? Great. We saw the he-goat. It was what? Very great. Now we see the little horn. Exceeding great. Power is increasing. This cannot be the man Antiochus Epiphanes, which some people apply it to. And Antiochus Epiphanes only reigned for but some three and a half years, is what people say. And that's why I apply the Antichrist principles to it. But this little horn was exceeding great. It was greater than all the other ones before it. It cannot be just a simple man. I mean, you can't establish an exceeding great nation and only rule for three and a half years. What kind of nation are you? Right? But this little horn was exceeding great. But then it says what? Which wax exceeding great toward the where? Toward where? The south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. Look, this kingdom has to go south, has to go east, and toward the pleasant land. Now we already know that this kingdom can't go, it can't be talking about this kingdom. This kingdom can't go south anymore. Okay? But it's given three directions in which this little horn waxes because there's four and it comes out of one of them. And in order to take world dominion, it must wax great towards the other three kingdoms. So this is giving us a geographical location of where the little horn comes up from. Now, where is the pleasant land? Or what is the pleasant land? Canaan. Canaan. Okay, now where's Canaan? Which, which one? Is it Cassander, Ly- Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy? The S. This is where... Canaan was it was the pleasant land where Jerusalem was so this little horn waxes south east and toward the pleasant land now you can't call this south or east because this is already the pleasant land so which kingdom can as we look at the map can go east, south and pleasant land This is north. North is north. (laughs) The way you're looking at it. Can L go east? Which way is east? Wrong. Hmm? Wrong. Wrong. This is giving us a geographical location of where that little horn comes out from. It goes east. It goes south. And it goes towards the pleasant land. Do you see that? This is why this is very important to understand where the geographical location of the four generals are. This is the reason why Daniel had seen and envisioned that the little horn comes out of the four horns. Because God wants us to be sure where this little horn is coming up from. Now we saw this in relation to Daniel 7. But we just knew that it was somewhere in Europe. Now this is the whole Europe. But remember, repeat and enlarge, we're given more details. Especially as we're going downwards. That means towards the end of time. And certainly, more details are given to us more and more. Here in Daniel 8 and Daniel 9. But what Daniel chapter 8 and verse 9 is dealing with is that it's giving us the geographical location of where the little horn comes out of the four horns. Because remember, the four horns are the four generals. Cassander, Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. And it says that the little horn comes out of them. Now, we haven't proved that it's pagan Rome yet, or even papal Rome. Based on Daniel 7, once again, we're thinking straight away that it's the papacy, the Antichrist. But then we're missing a great kingdom that existed between the two of them, which is pagan Rome. So how do we know this is pagan Rome, okay? Now, let us go to verse 10. Verse 10. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground, and stamped upon them. So here, in all understanding, this should be talking about which kingdom. Should be. I'm not saying what is being described, but who should this be talking about? What come, kingdom comes after Greece? Come on, pagan Rome. Pagan Rome. Now we got to be more specific because we know that papacy is also called papal Rome. Okay, but the next king that comes after should be the legs of iron. Should be that dreadful and terrible beast. Should be pagan Rome. Now let's look at this. It said it waxed great even to the host of heaven and cast down some of the hosts of the star- and of the stars. To the ground. Now, who are these stars? Who are this host? How does it wax great towards heaven? It persecutes God's people. Now, what do stars represent? Let's just go to Daniel 12 and verse 3. We'll see this here that it represents God's people very clearly. Daniel 12 and verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And of course, we see in Revelation one twenty that the stars are the angels of the seven churches. And angels simply means messenger or a leader. And so really, this is talking about God's people and also its leadership. Now, here's a question. Did Rome persecute God's people? Yes or no? Yes. How? Give me some examples of how Rome persecuted God's people. Now, I'm talking about pagan Rome. Persecuted Jesus? Of course, killed him. When Jesus was born, what happened? What did Herod do? He killed all the babies that were two years and younger. What happened in AD 70? The destruction of Jerusalem. And who was reigning then? Rome. Who came and destroyed it? Titus with his armies. They absolutely leveled Jerusalem. It was gone. And so, did Rome, in its pagan form, persecute God's people? Yes. And how do we know this? Let's look at this. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 10. Right at the end there, it says what? What's that last characteristic that's given? It says it casts the stars to the ground and then it does what? It stamps on them. Now let's go to Daniel 7 and verse 7. Verse 7 is describing pagan Rome. Pagan Rome. Let's read this. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7, the Bible says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, it devoured and brake in pieces, and what? Stamped the residue with the feet of it. It's stamped. In the same way that this little horn does. Verse 9, verse 10, pardon me. Of chapter 8 of Daniel it says right there it casts him to the ground the stars and it stamps on them giving us identifying mark that truly this has to be pagan Rome but remember it's dual because papacy must exist after that that little horn that comes out of the fourth beast in Daniel 7 but here we're seeing pagan Rome described in verse 10 okay Verse 10. So 9 and 10 mainly is giving us geographical location in verse 9, and then verse 10 is describing the characteristics of pagan Rome and how pagan Rome, that kingdom that existed from 168 BC to 476 AD, that was a kingdom that persecuted God's people. Described in verse 10. And then let's move on. Verse 11. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. Now, who is the prince of the host. Jesus Christ, the prince of God's saints. It is Jesus Christ. So now this little horn is magnifying himself even to the prince of a host, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Now, let's look at this. I want to I spend a bit of time looking at the daily. Okay, And our next session, we're going to spend the whole class just looking at the daily itself. But I just, I really want to show you how important this thing is. Because you see, many people have a misunderstanding of what on who the daily is. But I just want to show you the verses that describe the daily, okay? Just within Daniel. Now we read verse 12, verse 11. And then verse 12 is described again, repeats the word daily. And an host was given him against the daily. Sacrifice. Verse 13. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation? So three times in three verses daily is mentioned. Now jump over with me to Daniel 12. Daniel chapter 12. We want to look at this daily and it's a very important characteristic and detail to understand because it will lock, unlock pardon me, the understanding of what we see here in Daniel chapter 12. Let's go right to verse 11. Verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. And then verse 12, it says 1335 or 1335 days. If we don't get the understanding of the daily correct, we misunderstand the prophecy that's going to come in Daniel 12 that tells us about the 29, 1290 and the 1335. It's based on the understanding of the daily that's given here in verse 11, from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away. So we need to properly understand who this daily or what this daily is in Daniel 8 before we move on. And you're going to see very clearly that this helps us to see the transition that takes place from pagan Rome to papal Rome. And I'll show you clearly that this little horn is none other than both entities of the political Roman Empire that legs and the feet of iron and clay. Also Daniel 7, the beast, and then out of it comes a little horn. The fourth beast is still alive. So we're seeing here In Daniel 8 now, a horn, but now represents both pagan and papal. But what is this daily? Now, in mainstream Adventism, there are two main views about the daily. It's a high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ and paganism. These are the two views that are presented in mainstream Adventism. Now, one can't be right and the other right as well. Either one is right and the other wrong, or the other is wrong and the other is right. There can't be both views correct on this. There's no such thing as the dual application in this effect. Okay? When we talk about dual application, many times when prophecy uses dual application, it refers to literal local, talking about events that happened at that time, and how can it can be applied into the future. and time, how history will repeat itself. That is dual application in that sense. But you can't say a dual application represents first high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. And then if you look at it another way, it's paganism. One's good and one's evil. You can't have both together. Good and evil don't mix. Okay? So one's right. And we've got to be able to determine this from the context and also from some things that we're going to pull out from this text. Okay? But I want to ask you a question here. When it says that in verse 11... It says he magnifies himself to the Prince of the Host. Who is this referring to again? Jesus Christ. Now, and then, pardon me, this, this entity we've seen from the previous verse was pagan Rome. Okay? verse 10 and it waxed great even to the host of heaven and cast down some of the stars to the ground and stamped upon it this is pagan Rome but then it says yea he magnified himself to the prince of the host and by him who is that by him referring to there it's referring to the little horn pagan Rome if we read it that way by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down now first When we look at this daily, I want you to look at verse 13. There are three ways that I'm going to be able to prove to you that what our understanding of the daily is or what it ought to be based on the text that we have and also inspiration. But if we read, let's read verse 13, okay? Verse 13, Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? Now, there are four entities that are pointed out here, okay? I want you to note this. Four entities that are pointed out here in this verse. Can you point them out to me? What is the first one that is pointed out here in verse 13 of Daniel chapter 8? It says, How long shall be the vision concerning the what? Daily. Daily. Okay, what's the second one? And the what? Transgression of desolation. What's the next one? Sanctuary. And the last one? Okay. Okay. So here we have four entities that are pointed out here. Daily, transgression of desolation, sanctuary, and host. Now, note this. They are grouped together in two groups. There's only two groups that exist here out of the four entities. Did you see that? Okay. Verse 13, it says, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation? Put them together. Some authors have separated them. But how do we know that they're together? Because it says, to give both. To give both. That means to give what? The sanctuary and the host to be thrown underfoot. The sanctuary and the host are together. They're both. You see that? So we see a desecrating power combined of daily and transgression of desolation with or to go against sanctuary and host. To give both the sanctuary and the host to be thrown underfoot. So, sanctuary and host are going together here. So, do you see the two groups? Is that clear? Four entities divided into two groups daily with the transgression of desolation, and sanctuary and host together. Okay? Now, in going further, we need to define these terms. Let's first start off by defining who the hosts are. Who are they? Who are the hosts? Hmm? It's the saints. Now, if we go to Revelation 11, verses 2 and 3, we see God's saints being trodden underfoot for 42 months. Okay? Revelation 11, verses 2 and 3. This is God's saints. But on top of that, how do we know? If you look at that word sanctuary, the word sanctuary, Okay? What is this sanctuary? Whose sanctuary is this? If you look in the Hebrew, this word sanctuary is correlating to God's sanctuary. Now, if you look back at Daniel 8, I want to show you this. And take the time to look this up, okay? Did you know the word sanctuary first mentioned in Daniel 8 is found in verse 11? Daniel chapter 8 and verse 11. It says the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Okay? You see that word there. Now in verse 13, the word sanctuary is mentioned again. And verse 14, the word sanctuary is mentioned again. The word sanctuary in verse 11 is different to the word sanctuary mentioned in verse 13 and 14. Different. What I mean by different is different Hebrew word that is used. Now go back and look this up in your concordance. But the word sanctuary that is mentioned in verse 11 is different to the sanctuary mentioned in verse 13 and 14. The word sanctuary mentioned in verse 13 and 14 are the same. And you can only apply it to one sanctuary, and that is God's sanctuary. Only one. You can't use it for any other sanctuary that man can think of. The word sanctuary in verses 13 and 14 are only used for God's sanctuary. But the the verse 11, which contains that word sanctuary there, can be used for God's sanctuary or a sanctuary of idols or a pagan sanctuary is what we would say, non or heathen sanctuary. So verse 11 is a distinguishing aspect here between the word sanctuary and the one in verse 13 and 14. 13 and 14 can be used for God's sanctuary, verse eleven can only, or can be used for God's sanctuary or pagan sanctuary. Okay. And we're we'll beginning to see which sanctuary this is in verse eleven, anyways. But we're going to come back there. We just want to look at the issue of daily for the now, for now. Okay. Verse thirteen. So whose sanctuary is this? God's sanctuary. Is it on heaven, in heaven, or in earth? How do we know that it's in heaven? Now, if we look at the chronological sequencing of this, we see what? The ram, who, who is? Medo-Persia. Then the goat, which is Greece. And then we see the little horn come up. And of course, we know that in verse 11, it's talking about pagan Rome there, how it casts down, how it destroys or persecutes God's people, pardon me. Pardon, pardon me, that was verse 10. We see how the God's people were cast down to the ground. And of course, Since the death of Jesus Christ, where we see that stamping, the sanctuary didn't exist anymore. So when it comes to verse 13, chronologically speaking, this sanctuary is referring to God's sanctuary, but where? In heaven. So the heavenly sanctuary and God's host is being trodden underfoot. So we have two of the four defined so far. So this sanctuary is referring to what? Really the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ when he went into heaven. Alright? So, sanctuary here is referring to the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at transgression of desolation. Transgression of desolation. Who is that referring to? Now, pagan Rome was a desolating power. We see this in Matthew 24 and verse 15. Let's go there. Pagan Rome was a desolating power. We see this in Matthew 24 and verse 15. Let's look at this. Matthew 24 and verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. What is this referring to? Jesus was prophesying at that time when the Roman armies would stand upon Mount Moriah and look over upon Jerusalem. Now, the Jews considered Mount Moriah a holy place, a holy land. Why? That was a mountain that Abraham was to sacrifice his son Isaac. So it was considered holy to them. And to see Roman armies standing upon the holy hill, it was called abomination, But this was what? Abomination of desolation. So Jesus spoke of that desolating power, the Roman armies that would come back in AD 70 to desolate Jerusalem. So pagan Rome was a desolating power. But how about papal Rome? Was papal Rome ever a desolating power? Yes or no? Come on. It was. For 1,260 years, it desolated God's people, right? But this... Is called what? The transgression of desolation. Now, where do we see transgression in the Bible? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. Let's go there. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. You ought to know this off the top of your head, but that's fine. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. This is where we see the word transgression used. The Bible says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the Transgression of the law. So, not only was papacy a desolating power, it was also a transgressing power. It desolated and transgressed at the same time. Religious mixed with political. Now, we do not see that with pagan Rome. Okay? But what is coming out here? Papacy is mentioned there. Okay? Papacy. And of course, we see in Daniel 7.25 how the papacy transgressed God's uh, God's law thing to change times and laws so certainly this is not pointing more to pagan Rome it's more pointing to the papacy the Catholic Church so then if we look at them look at this who then is a daily now it's either the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ or it's paganism okay it's either the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ or it's paganism Now, we're going to prove both, whichever path we take later, how we know it's that. But, if we go back to Daniel 8 and read verse 13, okay, and we substitute our definitions. Now, what was the host? It was the saints. What was the sanctuary? God's sanctuary, but really what? The high priestly priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. And what is this? The papacy. And number one, we don't know what it is yet. But let's say it's high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 13. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ and the papacy to give both the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ and the saints to be trodden underfoot? Now, high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ cannot tread underfoot high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. If you understand what I mean? You see that. We're just substituting what we've discovered here into the verses. Transgression of desolation is the papacy. Sanctuary is God's sanctuary, but really it's representing what? The high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ and the host is God's saints. So we know that daily cannot be high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. I mean, even Jesus said Himself, the kingdom divided itself against itself, cannot stand. He can't serve two masters. So Jesus can't go against himself. So just from that first point that we're looking at, in terms of defining terms and in verse 13, we know that the daily has to be what? Paganism. All right? Just from that, we know that the daily has to be paganism. Now, unfortunately, our time is up. But our next session, we're going to continue on and look at the rest of this understanding and issue of the word daily and how we know beyond any reasonable doubt that this is paganism. We've seen it in the first point, but how do we know? And we're gonna establish that when we come back the next time, okay? So keep reading, read through Daniel 8 again and read it because especially verses 10 through 14 or 13 are very important. Transitions from pagan Rome to papal Rome, so come back after reading these verses again. Let's kneel for prayer and we'll close here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we study the book of Daniel, especially chapter 8, Father, as we are going through this much detail, I pray that You would help us to remember these details, that it would be written upon our minds that we'll be able to expound the Bible to others and show them the truth that is hidden therein. Especially this important chapter, Lord. Help us to have an open mind and clear mind about it, that we may be able to explain the pillar of our faith. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.